Hello, and welcome to the 38th annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Remian. Welcome to The Academy, and welcome to the breast years of our lives. Yes. Uh, this is a little side project for Patrick and I. As everyone knows, we covered Geely in this past season, and for better or worse, we are obsessed with everything that has to do with Geely at this point, including its director, Martin Brest. Now, Martin Brest has not made a movie since Geely, which, of course, Geely came out in the year 2003. So we're heading toward a 20-year disappearance of a director who, if we went through his filmography, directed films like Going in Style, Mm -hmm. Beverly Hills Cop, Midnight Run, Scent of a Woman, which we covered on the series before as well, and Meet Joe Black. Not a huge filmography, but uh, a powerful one uh, with a lot of success behind it. And so we're kind of interested in, you know, Martin Brest is not James Cameron. There are no 300 page biographies of Martin Brest. So, or even Mike Nichols, who we covered in, you know, 600 page biography of Nichols. Uh, Brest is a bit of a mysterious guy, but we're just so curious about this director who went so high, fell so low, and then has just kind of, then just kind of walked away. So, for the next few episodes, and Patrick, I might want to mention this is our 50th episode. Wow. Big, uh, big 50 for us. But for the next few, we're going to be taking a look at each film in Martin Brest's filmography and see if we could figure out a little bit of a narrative, a little bit about a, a little bit of a trajectory about him and a little bit perhaps just kind of summing things up on how someone went from Beverly Hills Cop to Gigli. Um, I'm excited for this one because I'm absolutely fascinated with him as a filmmaker. He... Um, really kicking myself uh when movie theaters reopened here in los angeles he did they did a double feature in santa monica at the arrow of beverly hills cop and midnight run that between films martin brest had a chat with paul thomas anderson uh not a q a but a chat nonetheless and um for a wide variety of reasons i'm disappointed we did not make it out to that show yeah like it seems like he's been such a um well, he's reclusive it? We, yeah it's reclusive like yeah we uh read an article for the old for the old uh pod and the matt patches uh great writer com- kind of compared very to very good article in playboy magazine yeah for the articles one. we read it for the we we read it for the articles <laughs> we only read it hashtag we only read it for the articles yeah <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah. yeah you're you're absolutely right that um he's difficult to reach mm-hmm. doesn't seem to do interviews no doesn't seem to be all that bitter or upset about not being in the biz mm-hmm. anymore. He just, it sure seems to me that all the drama and tumultuousness of Gili just had him say, nah, what the hell with this? Yeah. I have money. I'm out of here. I got my nut. I'm good. You know, and if that's the case, God bless him. I'm sure he's living in some wonderful house in santa monica just chilling out with his family good yeah. for him if that's the case honestly i'm surprised does he have like um, a wine I, mean, I i could see brett like a brett martin breast wine uh or like 
<laughs> my Martin Bra. I don't know what he. I don't know what he does. There's like one picture of him on the internet that looks like it was shot recently. Everything else looks like it's from the scent of a woman behind the scenes. Oh era. my god, that's interesting. I love that. Um, yeah, he- and you know, and the funny thing is, like Paul Thomas Anderson has like a buzz cut now. So when they were talking to each other, it's like, wow, really like gaunt, tall middle-aged men having a chat (laughs) Uh, these are just two guys but they didn't take any um pta did not take any questions by all accounts and kept it really to um beverly hills cop and midnight run Mm -hmm. pretty exclusively they did not get into gili i have a feeling and i I guess paul thomas anderson said that uh he said martin breast was the first person who first industry person who was kind to him in Hollywood. And this is going to be a running thing because when we get do get to Gigli, there's a lot of talk about the effect it had on Ben Affleck too. Yeah. And younger younger people and I know that Matt Damon has said Midnight Run is his favorite movie too. Um these the guy the Gen X bros who are born let's say 1968 to 1974 the work of Martin Brest really seems to um ring true is yeah his footprint, his footprint looms large like there is it, like um there's a lot of people that would consider uh beverly hills cop and midnight run kind of like uh important films in their lives yeah and i think within the genres that they are working in and we will talk about them the next episode full disclosure patrick and i have already watched them and loved them oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh we'll be talking to them about it about them exclusively in the next episode but they really are kind of um touch tones for the genre that they're working in mm-hmm. in terms of how to successfully do a action comedy or a buddy comedy i'd say like they really are the blueprint yeah especially um, um yeah i feel and i feel like they're three like very different takes on it too i feel like going in style is very different from beverly hills cop and midnight run even though you know, it has some similarities with Beverly Hills Cop. It's they're all their own thing, but and successful at doing said thing. Yeah, they're 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 really really successful. And then of course he made this turn after those into kind of a um, what you call it, kind of an Oscar baby kind of thing with Scent of a Woman and Meet Joe Black. Mm. Um, we've obviously seen Scent of a Woman a couple times. I've never seen Meet Joe Black. We'll be watching that in a few, oh, yeah. and then. He went to Geely, which, you know, we're going to talk through them all. We're going to try and make some conclusions here. Who knows even if some if narrative conclusions are possible here. Yeah. But in a sense, I think Geely was an attempt in a way to kind of go back to basics for him and what he did. Like in a kind of a dark right. action crime comedy. Um, but something got lost in the both in a lot for in the production you know, to, uh yeah every it sounds like you know, you know as we've talked about and we'll talk about again because we did have promised we're going to be watching it again um kind of a top to bottom just disaster but you know I, one quote that really stuck out in the playboy article was that um the the producer of Gili said that martin breast really never liked being in the industry mm-hmm. like and I think this is a good way to dive in with these early films because certainly um, 
hot tomorrows is the work of an outsider. It is not the work of a guy looking for, you know, broad commercial success. Yeah. Um, Um, And I I say this with love because I, I, it's, it is the work of a deeply weird man in a way that's like not, not in a bad way, in an interesting, cool, like, okay, this guy's not like cut from the same cloth as folks of his time, perhaps. Yeah, that was that was the interesting thing to me about it was thinking about that and just kind of going through these works. It's like, you know, I think you can compare him favorably to Sidney Pollock or mm. Richard Donner or Norman Jewison, really like solid Hollywood dudes. Yes. You know, who made like rock salt, a handful each rock solid movies. Um but I think that there's like a freaky side to Martin Brest mm-hmm. um, that got a little lost as he continued on with his career. But I think it's there all the way through because I don't think anyone, I don't think Sidney Pollock or um, Norman Jewison could make anything as odd as Gili. Oh, no. And it's like, it's so funny because yeah, he, you watch it um, like Hot Tomorrows and like, you it feels like, um, you know, maybe I'll save my opinions on it for later, but like, yeah, to see um, Hot Tomorrows and then see other films down the line and then to think back on Geely, um, you can't help but feel this is a, a, a surprisingly idiosyncratic man and he's not really a, you know, I feel like Sidney Pollack and Norman Jewison, they each have their quirks, sure, but they have, but I think they're, they're like, you know, they're in the vein of Sidney Lumet, where they're more of a workman-like director. They're fam- they'll get the job they're, done. They're trying to say something about society, and I'm not sure if Martin Brest, outside of perhaps a healthy distrust of authority, has a huge amount of things to say, like in a social, political sense yeah. in his well, it's, films. It's, it's, his, it's, his are much more existential. Yeah. His films. Uh, it's yeah death is like a big deal to this man yeah which i did not realize it's it's like it was like i I never would have expected that the film that hot tomorrows reminded me of was a racer head which is quite a quite a surprise oh it's like david lynch meets tim burton insane Mm -hmm. what an insane combination yeah so you know let's get into it um like we said we don't have the level of biography we available to us for martin breast Mm -hmm. You know, we're not journalists. We're just a couple of guys who like movies and like talking about them. So yep. we do we do our best, but yeah. um, we don't have a ton to go off from Martin Brest compared to the actors we've covered, or even Cameron or Mike Nichols. For yeah, there's instance. no there's no book. There's no great like work we can point towards. Yeah, uh, but what we do know, he was born in 1951 in the Bronx, uh, 70th birthday this past August. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to uh, Stuy Vesson High School, uh, graduated in 19. 19- 69. He went to NYU's School of Arts and graduated in 73. And then he went to the AFI Conservatory and graduated in 77. Interesting fact, bring that back to one of the first class members at the AFI was David Lynch. And Eraserhead came out in 77. And Lynch was in and around campus throughout all those years. So I wonder if he and Martin Brest ever uh, crossed paths. I have have no no idea. But Martin Brest, oh, and um, Stuart Cornfield, who 
would go on to be Ben Stiller's producing partner, and he also produced with Mel Brooks, and he produced uh, Elephant Man and oh, The yeah. Fly, was at AFI at this time, and was actually thanked in the credits of Hot Tomorrows. So who knows about what that who all these connections that circle was running with. Um, one thing is true though is uh, you know Martin Brest is uh, much more idiosyncratic than I ever would have expected, and it makes a little bit of sense if you try and paste these connections together with kind of the freakier side of the Los Angeles film school scene that he seems to have emerged from. Yeah. Oh man. Um, it is kind of like, uh, there is like this energy that feels like, it's like if, um, like he almost feels like, I mean, yeah, David Lynch progressively became tamer. Mm-hmm. It's like a weird, like, uh, it's like an example of someone trying to, I don't know, I don't know. It's um, like, I wonder, like, if he tries to, uh, if he's trying to iron out his weirdness as time goes on. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, or perhaps he was like trying to fit in, but he wasn't himself Mm. for all those years. And then Gigli kind of made him say the hell with this. I'm going to be me, man. And whatever that is, he's probably like painting at the beach right now or something. Doing something wonderful, like hanging out Mm -hmm. with a series of cats. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he surfs. He's like 70 and he surfs and he's in great shape. I don't know. But but he's, he's a fascinating guy. And so, his the first film we're going to talk about here, and this is, I think, the first um, True Blue short film we've kind of talked about on the show, is Hot Dogs for Gauguin. Gauguin? Gauguin. Yeah, I think um, Gauguin or Gaguin. Gauguin. Um, and I believe named after, I looked this up, not, folks, not off the top of my head, um, the French post-impressionist artist. Uh, oh, man. Paul Gaguin, <laughs> who, the key thing I saw was, he was underappreciated until after his death, which I think is the reason why they took this goofy title for the mm. short film. Um, cool things about this short film, it's one of Danny DeVito's first appearances. Released in 1972, he did it, Breast did it, Wall. This was his student film at NYU. Um, it has Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman in it, although... Um, Full disclosure, there is a 22-minute version of this short film out there that has actually made the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress. The only thing that was available to us, though, was the truncated three-minute version that aired on a 1980 episode of Saturday Night Live hosted by Jamie Lee Curtis. So that's online if you all want to watch it. It's out there. Um, Basic premise, though, is that Danny DeVito plays a uh, photographer who is obsessed with the, you know, everyone knows the photo, the Hindenburg coming down and blowing up and everything like that. Cover the Led Zeppelin album. You know, it's a famous photo. So he believes capturing a disaster will make him a remembered photographer or Mm -hmm. artist. So he concocts a plan to blow up the Statue of Liberty and capture it on film. So he gets the first photo of the Statue of Liberty being blown up. Very funny, right? In a pre-terrorism era. Um, antics ensue and um, spoiler alert for a short film from 1972 um, Danny does not get hit the Statue of Liberty is blown up but Danny's camera gets knocked down at the last minute and he does not get his photo you it's blew funny. It. got a big laugh on 1980 Saturday Night Live and um, it's you know it's in black and white Danny's great as always yeah. um, but you get this sense of um <sighs> 
Martin Brest has got this kind of like fatalistic kind of cynical side mm. to him. And I think it's, you know, kind of like the breaks of life coming out in this film. Um, you know, it's and it's they're played for laughs in the same vein that you kind of see in some of his other characters as things go on. But, um, you know, it's, it's very fun. I wish we could have seen the 22 minute version. Yeah. I, I was actually impressed by how much I liked it. Um, because like, yeah, it is on one hand, clearly like pretty much a student film, but mm. like, it's a student film with Danny DeVito and he like brings his Danny. It's crazy how uh, charismatic he is even at this point in his nascent career. Then he's, he's a career. star right off the bat. Yeah. Oh, he, you, he believe what he, you believe his plan. You want to see if it comes through or not. Yeah. There's a great bit at the end where the head of the Statue of Liberty, they got some great special effect with it blowing up. Oh, um, that's see, that was so crazy. That's, that's the other thing, too, is like, you know, uh, these two first films we discuss, you know, they're pretty like student filmy, but then they'll have these moments that are just huge and opulent. And you're there's, like, there's real, there's real craft yeah. to what so he's how, doing. How did Brest do? It's it's almost it almost reminds me of like a James Cameron with Exogenesis, where it's like you know clearly he hung out with people that were insanely talented and willing to work on these mm -hmm. you know features. I don't know, but it, they you know it is a you know I think the only thing is I think Cameron Cameron's voice is a lot more um, palatable. Oh to yeah, a broader audience, and I think. And, you know, this might be an interesting thing with Martin Brest as he tries on all these different styles and tones is that I think who he is really present in these three today and midnight run. Yeah. Oh, I have a who he is. I have a, I have a theory. I feel like uh, the character that Martin Brest is most like it's either Ken Lerner and Hot Tomorrows, or it's Charles Grodin and Midnight Run. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I... <laughs> those are like the two. These are the two characters I think that Martin Brest feels the most uh, uh, kinship with. And he's incredibly smart. He knows what he's doing. Um, yeah. But by all counts, too, he real perfectionist. Yeah, very neurotic. Very neurotic, you know. And yeah, <laughs> you look at his like time between films even before Gigli I mean it's not like you know, he's behaving like Stanley Kubrick in terms of the distance between the films and it's just yeah. like I don't know man like <laughs> but but he's also doing like it's very interesting that he's bringing this kind of like sweeping auteur mm. very individual very very eccentric personality into broad mainstream films yes and yeah, he, it was so interesting watching both Hot Dogs and our next film we're going to talk about because it's just like, it revealed this other side that you're like, oh, this guy is, um, there's a lot going on there. And yeah. kind of the weird tone, like, because we talked about it when we reviewed Scent of a Woman, how strange Scent of a Woman is. It's kind of like the pacing is strange and the scenes are long and there's ups and downs and the tone is here and there, but it, you start to realize like, this might be this guy. That he's, that, like, he's funny, but he's also morose and cynical and obsessed with death. And, you know, he's clever, but he's also like, I'm trying for a home run. I'm trying for a hit. You know, there's all sorts of, he's feels like he's being pulled in many directions. And yeah. there's part of me is like, 
did he really want to make hot tomorrows just for his entire career? And there's just no career in making hot tomorrows for your entire career. Um, but he's, yeah. I mean, I, but I do think like as someone who's made short films, who wants to make more short films in the future, um, hot dogs is a very solid short film. Oh, it rules. Yeah. I like, I like hot dogs a lot. I think that's like a fun, uh, it works as a three minute short on SNL. I would imagine mm-hmm. it works as a 22 minute uh, feature, uh, short feature. Uh, yeah. I like, I liked it. Yeah, I did too. I think um, well worth checking out. It's only three minutes of your time. So yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very fun. Great Danny DeVito performance. And it def- definitely starts to kind of fit the tone of like dark comedy. Yeah. Um, kind of a fatalism movies yep. about people who are like really walking the line between kind of wonderful dreamers or <laughs> raving lunatics yeah a, a bizarre admixture of slapstick in the macabre yeah yeah <laughs> and, yeah it's it's very it's very interesting and i think that it's a good lead into yeah. the next film we're going to talk about which is a film called hot tomorrows Mm -hmm. Uh, Made in 1977, uh, made while this was kind of his thesis when he was at AFI. Uh, Things to note, stars Ken Lerner, Hervé Villachez from Fantasy Island, uh, Ray Sharkey. Patrick, did you look up Ray Sharkey's uh, biography? No. Uh, He plays Lewis in this film. Um, Yeah, he's like the friend, right? He's like kind of like, he has has big Frank Slade energy. Yeah, uh, real ugly end. (laughs) To the, yeah. this, this this guy's <laughs> the real guy's life um oh no it's pretty dark <laughs> oh man uh, yeah okay, i'm actually looking at it right now and it's like uh, wow yeah it's a bummer yeah uh victor argo who a lot of scorsese movies king of new york uh ghost dog uh very fun uh as well and uh, a strange cameo from orson wells as well i who knows how orson wells got in the mix for this movie and then um the theater troupe uh that became the band oingo boingo led by danny elfman mm. are all involved uh, basic story is that it's about a um very neurotic new york writer who only thinks about death and kind of this odyssey into los angeles he goes down with his friend and this strange group of characters um that is very at times grounded and at times quite surreal mm-hmm. and it's in black and it's in black and white it's it definitely you know on a budget but the i mean i hate to start at the end but there's a closing dance sequence in this movie that's pretty astonishing <laughs> set mm-hmm. to uh 42nd street from the musical 42nd street um that you know involves Tap, da- tap dancing skeletons and all sorts of wild stuff yeah and, you know i think i see where you got the like the tim burton feel probably the danny danny elfman oh big time too, too yeah um but it's just it really you see and you're like oh if i was like looking for a young director mm-hmm. and this was this the student film that they presented it's like okay it's kind of <sighs> naval casey yeah pretentious bs for a lot of it but then at that end scene you're like oh this guy can go this guy like we can we can this guy can be trusted he's got he's got real chops yeah he can work with it yeah because it is like this thing where like a good portion of the movie is like uh two guys it's very um uh it's very uh uh what's the british film 
uh, the Al Pacino where it's the two oh, little local stigmatic, little local stigmatic. You're just following two chaps around L.A. Uh, one and only one of them nasty. Uh, the Ken Leonard lead is not, you know, he's just a, you know, yeah, he's just, a, he's just like, yeah, he's just like a, yeah, he's like your typical, like, yeah, he's like the stand-in for the director, right, bad bet. And um, I liked the, <laughs> I liked it when they went to the bar and you got to hang out with Hervé Villachez as Albrecht. Um, (laughs) And there's almost like a part of me that's like, I kind of want to see the movie because like Victor Argo kind of plays his handler. And Mm -hmm. uh, I I, want to see the film about these two guys. Like these guys are immediately more interesting than uh, Ray Sharkey and Ken Lerner, despite them giving, you know, decent performances. performances. Yeah, Yeah, they're good performances for what they're given. But yeah, you're right. Like this bar that they go to is like barely real. There's some very strange musical acts going on. Yeah. Um, Hervé Villachez wants shot glasses of wine that isn't good, you know, good wine. And then Ken or uh, Ray Sharkey explains. Now, did you know that drink? What what, what was it called? The um, oh god, silver about. and gold. Yeah, or something like that. So fifty percent vodka, fifty percent uh, scotch or whiskey. Yeah, and just it sounds terrible. That's the worst drink on the planet. Yeah. It's like what a, yeah, it's like a, that is a hundred percent like a, a weird college kid who doesn't drinks idea of a drink. Like, mm-hmm. but it, this is a really, really like strange, very singular movie. Mm-hmm. So, and if you, if you, if you see, if you know, scent of a woman, I think you'd be quite surprised that the guy who directed scent of a woman directed hot tomorrows. Um, great title too love the title hot tomorrows oh that's yeah title's great and there's like interesting like i love like the weird apartment that ken lerner lives in uh he's got he's obsessed with death so he's got all sorts of um paraphernalia all over his apartment including a giant grim reaper like dummy yeah beat the damn fad you know what i'm talking about that one where everyone gets that 12 foot skeleton or whatever (laughs) from home depot he beat the damn fad uh, yeah, but uh, like he was, uh, he was Halloween a all the time at Ken Lerner's apartment. <laughs> yeah, but... it's a it's a Halloween city or whatever the hell. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Halloween. It's a spirit. It's a, yeah, it's a spirit. Spirit Halloween. Spirit, yeah, it's Halloween. A spirit Halloween yeah. every day at uh, Ken Lerner's apartment. Also has a um, just another uh, example of an artist that died before uh, his time or whatever, or died before he got recognition. He got that Van Gogh on the fridge. Mm-hmm. Weirdly placed fridge. He's this this is this begins kind of breast kind of um, obsession with yeah death basically and kind of like i mean even if you like beverly Hills cop is an outlier but even like i mean we'll talk a little bit more about it well not not a little bit a lot but a lot of bit more about it next week but um even the way de niro and charles groden part at the end of midnight run i'll see you in the next life it's like you in this life they can't even be together Mm-hmm. in the greatest plutonic romance perhaps ever presented on film <laughs> but, oh uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh it's uh, i can't wait what a beautiful what, what a movie, <laughs> a, movie. Um, a, a movie that grows on you especially because yeah, like when the, the yeah the, god the set pieces but we're gonna we'll get there yeah we'll get there it's it's perfect though folks <laughs> yeah it's, it's yeah but, it's fun it's good yeah but this 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 film is really like so I guess we should probably give a little backstory too. This film is super hard to find. Uh, I don't believe there's any home video 
really a release of this at all, as far as we could tell. Um, yeah. But uh, Patrick, ever intrepid Internet Explorer, Patrick Remion, um, found a website that we can't recommend higher, uh, cinephobe.tv. Is that yes, the... that is exactly Cinephobe. it. Cinephobe.tv, they are a stream. They are um, just constantly running basically like a Z channel-esque internet television sh- uh, channel that almost strictly plays hard to find and kind of adventurous movies. Um, you know, we noticed that they played wonderful things like recently they played Last Night at the Alamo, one of my favorites. Uh, they, they played The World's Greatest Sinner Tonight, the um, Timothy Carey movie. Just some, a lot of really off the beaten path international movies um almost uniformly difficult to find on video too i don't know how legal any of it is i don't know how where they get any of this stuff but they're doing a damn service to the cinema community and patrick had found that um they had recently played hot tomorrow so he reached out to them and asked if they would do it again and Lo and behold, these wonderful folks, they played it again. So we watched it. That This is how we watched the movie. So check out their website. Uh, you can see all sorts of cool movies. Um, not even an ad. We just like them. Uh, yeah, they're just cool. They're just good. They, I like that their email address is altmanshashpipe at gmail.com. It's yeah, really very odd. They were, but they were, like, they were super pleasant and easy to talk to. I have a feeling so, that, um, yeah, there's almost like a part of me that's like, man, I got to look in the catalog of weird movies now. They, they, they're really <laughs> terrific stuff. I mean, I saw that they're doing like uh, a Burt Reynolds flops of the 1970s double features coming up. Ooh. They're playing the uh, Texasville, the last picture show. Um, sequel they're mm-hmm. playing the director's cut that was only ever released on laserdisc oh um like that's, tomorrow that's i mean really crazy. interesting stuff really really yeah. cool stuff and so we got to thank them because that's how we saw uh, tomorrow's uh if you if any get the chance though much i check it out it's only 73 minutes long too which is uh so you can get in and out quickly but yeah. it's not what you'd expect from the guy who didn't Meet Joe Black. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. Like, oh yeah, yeah. It is well, maybe it is. I don't know. Meet Joe Black's also put death. <laughs> that's true. That's very weird. I think that's like his. I think that's his pet. Uh, his pet uh, theme. That's like yeah, what he's super into, which is 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 uh, fascinating. I feel like you don't have that many directors that like focus so clearly on one subject. Yeah, and yeah. I think. And kind of how it's revealed, you know, as these mainstream movies kind of like you kind of dig in on them a little bit. And the only one I think that is, um, I think Beverly Hills Cop is kind of an outlier in all of that. But oh, yeah, we'll get to the reasons why Beverly mm-hmm. Hills Cop is an outlier in a little bit here um, next week, as a matter of fact. But um, yeah, Hot Tomorrow is to me, I mean, it, it has that kind of Lynchian vibe, but it isn't as... Um, it's not a horror movie mm-hmm. in the same vein that like Eraserhead has got some really horrific imagery in it. There's no real horrific imagery in this. I think it's more, this is, this is kind of, yeah, it's, it's a, it is just kind of a surrealistic meditation on death. I mean, so I'll, you know, quick spoiler, they, after their night out, uh, Ken Lerner's character goes home to write. And then he gets a phone call from Victor Argo saying that there was an accident, 
And we learn when Ken Lerner goes to the hospital that his friend Lewis, who's played by Ray Sharkey, was killed in a car accident. And this is the first like actual. And then he, this is right after he told that story about his grandmother committing suicide too. Um, and, but I, I was really struck by it because we'd gotten to know Lewis and it, and, yeah. it, and it got very real all of a sudden, but then it got surreal like almost immediately after that too, because that hospital didn't even seem real that he went to in the first place. But I, I was, I was emotionally engaged by that point in watching the film, surprisingly enough. Yeah. I, it is like interesting that um, I was engaged. Like I was kind of shocked by his death. Too. Well, mainly because Lewis is kind of like the character that like stay um, kind of pops the most mm-hmm. almost yeah. out of all the, he's like the one that has the most like uh uh personality one would say um and i'm not gonna lie like the thing that you know one thing he did in the beginning i found very funny was that one bit where he goes into um they're at their apartment and they're oh when he when he has the um whipped cream the, the whipped cream and he and he goes oh that was here when i moved in which is a very funny eats. joke very yeah. funny joke <laughs> still eats it too yeah. it's very it's it was very funny and odd and then like ken learned kind of some of the character kind of some, some of the character kind of this like moochy scumbag <laughs> oh yeah 100 percent. well he's like the, the he's like your scumbag friend He's mm-hmm. like hundred percent just yeah, scumbag, and he but... but he's also kind of this sets the thing in motion because Ken Lerner's character, <laughs> keep forgetting his name, um, isn't going to leave his apartment. Yeah, unless Lewis shows up. Yeah, um, <laughs> he just was like Michael, their idea Mike, of a night. Michael is... is Ken Lerner's name, by the way. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, their idea of a night, a fun, uh, yeah, Michael's idea of a fun night, by the way, is uh, making a meal of white flavorless rice just like no 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 sides no just just plain rice and then they're and gonna writing watch articles of writing a book or a story about elderly people who are pissed off that they've lived so long <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and then watching laurel and hardy clips uh on oh, their- yeah but I, I i was really struck by that because i have to admit as someone who thinks about these kind of matters themselves quite mm-hmm. a bit um you know, I, I, when I watch an old movie, there yeah. is a, I, I can't watch like a movie from the forties and not think like, oh, they're all ghosts. Yeah, it is like a. I do get this like perverse. It does feel like you're going into a weird time machine, like a voyeuristic time machine. There's always been like the strange, you know, they get the strangest feeling. Like, you know, go to the New Beverly and see like a movie from the early seventies, and um. I don't know, I think one of the ones that always struck my mind, we saw the film, the Steph, Stephanie Rothman film, The Velvet Vampire. Mm-hmm. And we were really very struck by it. Very kind of um, already yet sexy vampire movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. I guess. Uh, but we were like, oh man, I, these actors, especially the lead who played, we were like, oh, these are so interesting. We found out the lead you know, passed away 15 years ago. And they're brand new to us. So like we've met this person, they're already gone. And it's such a um, surreal like thing. Like, oh man, like like even like learning about the guy who played Lewis, Ray Sharkey, tonight. Yeah. Kind of like, oh wow, that guy was that that that's what that guy was doing. You know, like I mean, you know, you know, I guess we'll try and he was a um 
severe extreme issues with um cocaine and heroin yeah that led to the point that he contracted um hiv which turned into aids and he died of aids at like 40 Uh, yeah which is um, like yeah it just totally took me by surprise just reading that on wikipedia it is like um it's wild when uh because you see ray sharky's performance in it he pops he pops yeah he's definitely out of the cast who mm -hmm. i had not seen before like victor argo you know, great character. Oh, he was great too. I love the Hervey Villachez is Hervey Villachez. You know what you're, <laughs> you yeah. know what you're getting. Um, I was like, yeah, he yeah, was he's fun. fun. He's like scary and kind of bleak in this one. Oh, um, yeah, very yeah, weird. Yeah. He was the one who were like, oh, who's like, that was, I immediately had to go look him up because, like, who is that? Like, I, he's interesting. Yeah. And then you find out that this, like, very sad story and, like, oh my God. Like, it's very, um, yeah, very bleak. But I mean, they even like, you know, I saw um, Over the Edge at the New Beverly. And was I had never seen it before. I can't mm. believe I had never seen it before. Blown away. And it's in this movie about these kids who are like, you know, causing problems because their parents and their community suck. So they kind of like right. rebel. And it's got this great like soundtrack of like Cheap Trick and the Cars and Van Halen. And it's like from 1979. It's like Matt Dillon's first movie. Mm. Um, but like all the kids in it, I was like, oh, they, they're cool. Like, I want to know. They're like 60 years old now. Like, oh, I, feel I just it, met them as 13 year olds and it's like no you're 60 now because this movie came out in 79 and it's just like whoa that's well, it, like yeah it's like trip, well, it's man. like when we went to see it's like when we went to see hollywood man and you get introduced by like this the the, the widow mm-hmm. of william smith and that was like my first time ever seeing william smith really were those two films like i didn't know who he was before we watch those features. But then you see him, and you're like, wow, this guy's wonderful. I want to know yeah. him. I want to like be, you know, see him in these other things. I'd love to cast him and so and it's like, oh yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. No. And, and he was and he, you know, passed away at 88. Seemingly mm. had lived a very eventful uh, life with like 600 credits on IMDb. So good for him. <laughs> um, yeah, he rocked it. It's just a it's um it is like uh yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It definitely feels like Martin Brest is the kind of guy who probably has these similar thoughts mm-hmm. when he watches films. And that Laurel and Hardy thing probably came out of his own life of watching that. And like, you're laughing, you're laughing, you're laughing. It's like, well, you're also watching Ghosts, which is a very, um, yeah, very surreal. I mean, the power of movies, really. That, well, it's also you know, mo- movies can make you immortal but not because you're famous or because of good deeds, but just because it can capture you at 35 forever or something like Well, that. it's like, I feel like even at that point too, you have to imagine that Laurel and Hardy, you know, they're like early 30s, mid 30s. That was kind of like their peak. At, at that point, it's almost kind of like an oddly idiosyncratic and esoteric move to be like a Laurel and Hardy fan in the 70s. Like they're yeah. already starting to like, you know, disappear. You know, at that point, even then, they're starting to fade away from the cultural um, memory, like the mad, like the, 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 the high, the cultural hive mind. And so mm-hmm. that adds that extra layer of like, you're watching something that's like, you know, ozymandias before your very eyes. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I think, I mean, I, I noticed that too recently with the, uh, the passing of Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones. Um, mm-hmm. There was a new kind of vibe of like, well, this isn't like some like legendary like, oh man, he lived a rock life and paid for it. Yeah, I was, was eighty, had a good life, he man. succeeded, and the time is just going to pass, no yeah. matter what. 
like you know the dust stones. in the wind brother yeah i don't know the paint is always gonna chip yeah <laughs> you know, it's like, it's nuts yeah and i think that that's kind of a very interesting you know coming we're talking about this like student film made on a shoestring bringing out this like very like deep vibes but yeah it's a, it's a, this and then i think the next movie we're going to talk about maybe even more so yeah <laughs> um, well it's like it's a dark energy but there's also like this weirdly um optimistic energy to it too because like these films even like though like they're dead like they are like a like they'll be remembered like people will be remembered through these like you know mm-hmm. through these witnesses like you know the ghost lives on well, I think there's also something about Martin Brest's films, like we alluded to a little bit, like his healthy distrust of authority. The characters that he presents mm. are like, you know, yes, they're fighting death, but they're also fighting existential crisis. They're fighting kind of emptiness. The emptiness of the universe is someone as probably, I, th- I would imagine Martin Brest is a cynic, a fairly pessimistic Oh yeah, especially Dying. especially when you need the younger. And we're taking guesses. These are all alleged. Yeah, you know, we're, like we said, he's he's a very fit seventy year old who's surfing in Malibu right now. So he's he's yep. he's, he's, he's you know, allegedly. <laughs> you can catch him at the end of Chile. Yeah, you can catch him yeah. at that beach. Oh, he, uh, sidebar here. Um, we went to Malibu, uh, with my mom when she was mm-hmm. in town recently, and oh, nice. brought, the, brought the baby and showed the baby the beach. Very very wonderful moment. Um. Did I say when we were driving past the beach, though, hey, Baywatch? Yes, I did. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> that means I'm going to do that. That's not I, good. I've, I've, been, I've been Geely pilled. I've been Geely pilled. We're Geely pilled. Oh, God. Well, that's a bad pill. This is not good. <laughs> yeah, Morpheus, the red pill, the black pill, the Geely pill. Not many people have picked the Geely pill. Don and Patrick immediately grab it. <laughs> Morpheus is like, dude, what are you doing? Morpheus, you need to- yeah, Morpheus is like, guys, you are not, not going to yeah. be saving shit. <laughs> yeah, the Geely pill is like on the ground in the dirt. Like, <laughs> it's, 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 like a- it's, it's in the two ninety nine used DVD section. Yeah, it's like more and more. It's like that pill's not even in my hand, guys. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I found I found it in the clearance rack at Amoeba. <laughs> that yeah, was uh, uh, yeah, don't get, uh, yeah, don't take pills if they're in the clearance rack. And I'm yeah, so when you start referencing, when you're at a beautiful like, Malibu, does live up parts of those beaches do live up to the hype of the California idyllic beach. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to bring up a reference to something terrible from a terrible movie. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's funny that we are like, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be like uh, listening to. Sir Mix-a-Lot or something, and I'm gonna like, you know... Think, think about our man Justin Bartha doing some Oof. raps. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> uh, man. Uh, well, that's a bleak movie that is just imprinted in my mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like, you know, get back to it, like all of his characters, whether the system is literally like mortality or just some shitty bureaucracy or rich assholes all of the system to martin breast is worth um kind of or even baird the school certainly would be would count as the system um Mm. something you know fighting against this authority and i i I genuinely think too like gili perhaps represents him losing the fight 
and then just saying, I don't want to do this fight. <laughs> just don't want uh, to be a part of it. Because, I mean, they're, you know, they're, he, like a lot of directors, has a lot of uh, films that um, didn't happen in his uh in his filmography you know uh the two that i can you know off the top of my head war games the matthew broderick film he was fired from two weeks into production Mm -hmm. and he also developed rain man wow uh and i'm I'm sure there are other films because you know he just was a you know he he was a interesting figure of the time you know a levinson-esque figure who got work Speaking of which, I saw Levinson just had a big, big review at the Toronto Film Festival with his new film about a boxer in the Holocaust. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, Ben Foster apparently lost 65 pounds doing a full De Niro type thing Oof. to do it. Yeah. Interesting. I, I love Ben. I'll tell you what, man. Ben like Foster, he rules. He's one, and he's one of those guys that I feel like he's always been like at the cusp of an Oscar nomination, always scratching he's, the edges. Um, he never gets in. He hasn't, he hasn't gotten, you know. Tarantino said something very interesting about William Smith. Basically, like William Smith didn't get, didn't get his death wish. Same kind of generation as Bronson, but Bronson got death wish, which put Bronson over the top as a megastar. William Smith, had he gotten a part like that, it would have put him over the top. And I think Ben Foster is another guy who's looking for that part to put him over the top. It's funny because like even like the even like the big like flashy action, like the big like budget, like you know, how like every actor nowadays has to act in a Marvel or a DC. His was Warcraft, and that fell on its uh fell on its face too. Did he do, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting, interesting guy. I mean, I think we all yeah. liked him in uh, Hell or High Water quite a bit. Oh yeah, he's um, great in Hell. That, Hell yeah, but um, yeah. <laughs> long story <laughs> short, getting back to you know, Breast was a guy who worked within the system. But I keep going again, keep going back to that quote from the producer Geely, who said, you know, he wasn't an industry guy, mm-hmm. and I get the feeling like to really work in Hollywood you have to kind of like not just the um, the creative process and making your films and stuff like that, but you kind of have to like the wheeling and dealing and the schmoozing and the kind of um, right. all that stuff, which seems very, I mean, at least to me, pretty gross. <laughs> not oh, like, yeah. You know, not, not the most appealing thing in the world to me mm-hmm. either. So, I, you know, I mean, I'd rather be surfing with Martin Brest. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's what we, that's what we should have called this series, Surfing with Martin Brest. <laughs> we could. It's not too no, late. The best years of our lives, <laughs> but but um, but yeah, I think like he was a guy who I think tried to try. He he really did want to try and he was much more unique than a lot of his peers. Is what we're what we've learned through the short film and his first film out of college, which. You know, I'm curious because two years later, after Hot Tomorrows, he directed and wrote uh, Going In Style, his first uh, big studio film. Um, let's go through. We can actually we can do statistics here because this is not a student film. <laughs> um, written and directed by Martin Brest, produced by Tony Bill and uh, Fred T. Gallo, starring George Burns, Art Carney, Lee Strasberg and Charles Hallahan from The Thing. Uh, released December 25th, 1979 for Warner Brothers Pictures. This movie made 1979 money, almost $30 million. It was a pretty, um, 
pretty tidy sum. That's yeah. a hit. Um, Especially so, when it, you, you consider that it stars like three older, like, yeah, when George Burns is essentially your lead. Yeah, uh, our sexy leading man, George yeah. Burns. <laughs> George Burns, yes. <laughs> we couldn't get Chris Hemsworth, we got George Burns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they fly now. <laughs> oh, they fly now. Oh, please. <laughs> there, that's the Marvel movie. Okay, I finally found the Marvel movie I want to write and direct. It's the one with like Bruce Dern and yeah. Jack Nicholson and all the old guys. <laughs> the old superheroes. Oh my God. Just like a Last Vegas, but it's like Batman, yeah. Superman, Spider Man. We, like, we, we get Al Pacino in there. You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. He's Magneto. Al Pacino's Magneto. Al Pacino. <laughs> I moved. I can magnetize things. What? Can you imagine trying to explain the superpowers to all these old guys? It's like, well, wait, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, only one he'd be down is Jack Nicholson, apparently, if last detail. Yeah. Yeah, he'd he be is, dealing. He is the goddamn Shore Patrol. Um, yeah. But yeah, this was a big hit. And um, obviously it was recently remade. Uh, remake directed by Zach Braff, of all people, oh, starring uh, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, and Alan Arkinus, the titular old guys going in style. Um, we, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but uh, Academy Academy Disclosure, Patrick bit the bullet, took one for the team, and watched the remake, too. Oh, man, just a soul-crushing <laughs> We'll talk about it when we get there, but uh, goddamn. We should also mention, uh, since we just announced it, our first appearance from an Academy Academy Hall of Famer in this film, Lee Strasberg, is back in the mix for this one. Of course, we last saw him in um, uh, Justice for All, I believe, <laughs> was the last time we, we saw Lee Strasberg. So you might have an idea of what going in style is. It's, you know, you got three old guys, uh, mm-hmm. kind of, um, they decide to... Uh, rub a bank and you think antics are going to ensue but what mm-hmm. actually ensues is a very um Slice. nuanced melancholy portrait yeah. of getting very old and being kind of alone and bored and sad yeah these are like yeah if there are, if there are wacky antics they're of a cosmic nature uh brought upon us by a a, a fickle being of higher power that shows no remorse <laughs> as good a time as you have with your friends it doesn't matter because they are going to die yeah yeah like yeah you'll rob the bank don't worry now, but did um was there any incontinence that was played not for laughs, but for kind oh. of the bleak, the bleakness of life as in this one? A, a truly harrowing, maybe the most harrowing moment I've seen in an Academy Academy film. It was real. That was the yeah. thing. It was real. Mm-hmm. So at one point, George Burns is just doing a scene and he looks down and he's pissed himself. And he and this- doesn't even, and it's out of nowhere. He's looking and, at pictures of like his maybe dead family or yeah. like his, his, his either uh, best best case scenario estranged, worst case scenario, he's dead. And this and, is after one of his friends has died. We have yeah. gotten to know and love and robbed a bank. Uh, and he's a, he's a <laughs> World War One veteran. It's really like I, I was expecting. Oh, just a, dumb a, shit. A doofus romp. Yeah, you know, and like maybe, a fun. Maybe if you laugh, maybe a few laughs, but yeah, <laughs> you know, there were a few laughs. This is a very like 
thoughtful, serious film, though, in most ways, which yeah. and featuring three very committed, very like not played for like, you know, um, yeah, performances mm-hmm. from Arthur Burns, Carney, and Strasberg. And yeah. you could tell from the jump, Strasberg is like depressed. Like he's very legitimately sad, and so like basically they're sitting on this park bench. It's kind of funny. George Burns gives this little kid real shit. Yeah, I think he says his head. His head looks like a what is his head looks like a watermelon. He gives him a a mean. It's it's, it's mean. It's genuinely mean. Which rules? I I I I wrote the note. I love these three irascible fucks. Like they're great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and basically that they've been relegated to sitting on this park bench in Queens all day long. Yeah. Their family is just mysteriously not around in mm. the slightest. Yeah. They'll live together. Um, but because they kind of have to. And so Oof. this kind of leads them to wanting to decide to rob a bank. And as they're kind of planning the rot ro- bank robbery, all of a sudden there's this scene where Lee Strasberg tells Art Carney, I believe, a story about his estranged son. And like this incident with them and how he slapped his son when he was a kid and all of the regrets he have. And I was like, oh, I don't think we're walking. We're going to hear a like needle drop for walking on sunshine in this movie. Yeah, (laughs) that's like the thing. It's like this movie goes from like, uh, yeah, like because like the luggage. So the line he says the little kid is he's got one of them heads that they make piss pots out of, which I I cackled at. I I was like, oh, this is going to be a funny romp. I can't wait. They're, they're all mean and cranky. I love it. Yeah, but then it you like, get to well, like, you got this idea. Are, are they just kind of assholes and it's played for that? But no, no, no. They're like <laughs> no. real people. And it like, <laughs> and it's there's, it's so tenderly acted. Like Lee Strasberg is so, um, he's so soft in the movie. He really is. Especially if you think about him in Godfather two mm-hmm. and how like, He's like sick, but he's like walking around with his hiked up pants and no shirt, just like oh, giving God. people shit. That's such and, a. I think there's nothing, uh, nothing that is scarier than like an older guy with no <laughs> shirt and pants up to the belly button. <laughs> like if you see that run, <laughs> doing vague threats about casinos in Cuba. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, and the only for the only like family that we seem to see is that. Uh, Art Carney's nephew, who's played by Charles Hallahan, is Norris and the thing, um, mm. and his family. And Art Carney's, of course, incredibly tender and loving with them. Mm. And it's not oh, like it's... he, the kids, he like genuinely loves. It's and, so like, yeah, he has a moment so that's tender. Yeah, it's so real when he's doing like the peekaboo, or like he's pretending to sleep. He does a classic grandpa move where he pretends to sleep. The ba- the little kid, like the three year old kid, comes in to look at him. And he gets he wakes up and is surprised by her. She leaves. They come back, and it's like, um, like just to give you an idea of like how far we've like fallen. Like in Going in Style 2017, like new Going in Style. There's no like there's like a um, like a teenage kind of friend, character who at one point says that like Michael Caine, like the old man, she's like has a relationship. She so she at one point she says she's you're my best friend to like Michael Caine. <laughs> Which is insane, and you, you, there's no love felt like the, the the level of love in that one moment. Uh, and, he, and he goes, "But you're a little girl." <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God, he worked. Michael Caine works at a Pennsylvania. No, sure he does. Like sure like at a fucking steel plant. Insane. I, I hate. 
angry. It just makes me angry thinking about it. Get him a suit, put him in a Chris Nolan movie, make him be something classy. That's yes. what he's that's what that's what he, that's what he's around for these days. At the very uh, least, he could have been a retired butler. Come on, do better yeah. movie. But he um so uh they buy some funny Groucho glasses and they decide to rob a bank. Yeah. They get they take the guns from uh Carney's nephew, Pete, mm-hmm. and uh they pull up the heist. Now, yeah, that's not a big spoiler. Because that's I, I paused it. That's about thirty five minutes into this ninety seven minute movie. So yeah. you might be asking audience, how, what, where do, do they spend the next hour of this movie? Do they get into more heists, more shenanigans? Mm-hmm. Are they on the run? Do they have to go on the lamb? Um, I'm not going to actually spoil it because I think it's worth. This is one of the, weirdly enough going in style. A movie that's forty years old is the one I don't want to spoil on this show. But um, not at all. This is a tender movie about friendships and aging. And it's not about heists. Yeah. And it's not about shenanigans. And it's not about, you know, there's no needle drop for James Brown's I feel good after they take care of the job or something like that. Ugh, just, um, yeah. It's, and, it's, and it's also very like um, the Martin Bress, it shows that he's kind of, uh, he's an intelligent filmmaker in the sense that his skills aren't in crafting, like, he's not like a Michael Mann, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's not going to create this, and so I think he does a, re- uh, he makes a really great choice of kind of, like, minimizing uh, the importance to a certain degree of the heist. Or at least, like, the importance of, like, like because, like, the point is just that they get, you know, they, they, they uh, get away. You don't need to know, well, like, you don't need to spend, like, I think one thing I did not yeah. like about Going in Style 2017 is, like, an hour of the movie is them, like, planning the heist, you know, pulling it off, shitty needle drops. It's, like, and it's so, um, and you, as a result, you sacrifice the relationships. Like, then... Yeah, and the heist in this is really, like, I, I don't, like, a lot of these kind of movies, it would be like, man, I feel young again. It's, like, they actually, then they buy some boner pills and meet Anne Margaret or something like that. You know? Ugh, God, <laughs> um, which yeah, hmm. which happens in so many of these movies. But this stick up is just because they're looking for you know to feel alive. And that's like enough. Like, and that's enough. Yeah, yeah that's, that's enough. That's the great thing. Almost too, it's almost it is too much actually. Yeah, you know, as things progress, you know, it is too big of a thing for them to to them for them to take on. But yeah. it's it's so fascinating too how with this movie I find their um like just literally having George Burns be like, eh, let's do this and kind of do it because he wants to like feel alive again. Like that amount of uh because they sell it as actors, that's mm-hmm. like all you need. Going with style new going with style 2017 is so fucking like it's like Morgan Freeman has kidney problems. Uh, we're all of our, um, the steel mill we all worked at, they're taking our pensions. Everything is so like, everyone has to justify everything. And they well, justify like, everything. Um, Danny Collins, where they had to explain everything and give like hat on hat on hat on hat. It's like, we don't know why they all live together in this, but we accept it. Yeah, I think that's like the thing is like, you can like, so much of it is just, you don't need a lot as long as as long as the performance is there and the script is believable. Like you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and it feels like yeah. 
authentic. I, yeah, I think like, that's. I don't think there's anything in this movie that felt like too like, like, out of the ordinary for 1979. Almost, yeah, there, like feels like it could happen. That everything yeah. it's not crazy shenanigans or anything like that. It's like <laughs> these old guys rob a bank. They do yeah. it okay. They get away with it, but it's not like, yeah, they're, they're, you know, it's not Neil and Chris. Yeah, you know, it's, well, the heat is not the juice for these guys. Well, what's you what's know? interesting? The, yeah, oh, totally not the juice. You know? uh, it, what's interesting? George Burns, Art Carney, and Tom Sizemore. Uh, yeah, please, yeah. <laughs> let's do Old Man Heat. Let's do it. Let's. Well, yeah, from that righteous kill. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Shuddered my pull body. Turk and Rooster. Turk and Rooster. Oh, it's me, Turk. Oh, man. George Burns is Turk. Um, but uh, I think, like, it's what's interesting, too, is you see with Martin Brest, one thing I've noticed with a lot of his movies is there are certain things that he's willing to kind of like, um, certain logical leaps he's willing to make in order for his films to work emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a thing. Like, I think that will become a bigger problem for his films as things go on. Cause like, that's like one thing that going in style, maybe the one thing It's funny because like, for me, I'm almost like totally fine with it because like I said, the robbery isn't the point of the, uh, isn't the point of the performance. It's not like the, mm-hmm. it's not like the, yeah, the robbery isn't supposed to be like the focal point of the feature film, but it is kind of funny how like, quickly at least initially they're able to get away despite with only like weird like um like that's that's actually the one part of the movie that almost feels like magically realistic that these old gentlemen no one takes the gun away from them nobody like tries to like you know take off their masks none of them get like overpowered Uh, yeah, I, makes, I, what happens? I, and I mean, I guess this might be doing some work for Martin Brest, but mm-hmm. I think the if you're a security guard and these three 80 year old men come in with guns, you're like, huh? You're a little like stunned by the entire thing. And you're it's not fair. like as like if Sonny and Sal come into your bank, you're a little bit more like, OK, we got to do something about this right now. Yeah, that's fair. I'll give it to you there. That's fair. Although it is just like, it, I guess it's just like the fact that like uh yeah it's like i guess uh, you know what it doesn't matter like it works in the yeah. end of the movie. yeah no i mean in because i think it's i think that like probably the pitch mm-hmm. that he did to the studio was um oh it's old guys doing a bank heist mm-hmm. but i think when he really wants to talk about it, i mean if you go back to hot tomorrow it's the entire sequence the nursing home and the older people like yeah the, the suicide of the the elderly the elderly relative um even laurel and hardy uh martin, i mean who knows martin breast probably not thrilled about being 70 years old right now right you know oh totally i think that uh aging was already a concern i mean even um you know much again soon but lieutenant colonel frank slade was not thrilled to be an old blind man he wanted to be in the game yeah i think like yeah yeah you get a, you get the vibe that maybe now martin breast would see the irishman on his netflix queue and be not for me yeah interesting pairing with going in style and the irishman <laughs> yeah very similar except like with going in style uh well they're the, endearing guys the yeah three they're, guys well, they're, are they're endearing in- well, East, they're not yeah, bad guys. Not only are they endearing guys, you kind of see the positive end where, like, it's like, uh, you know, uh, the characters, uh, 
I don't want to spoil too much, but you get the sense that like uh, the you get the sense that George Burns is not going to meet his end similarly to Robert De Niro's character in The Irishman, where like he's not going to be like you know uh, in the uh, in the the room in the nursing home, uh, you know, praying for someone to visit him on Christmas Eve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, yeah. I uh, but yeah, I think um you know one thing I did want to bring up too, a little uh one of uh, one of the funnest um. One of the funnest um, I'm on a winning streak in Vegas scenes that we've yeah. seen. Oh, uh, man. Uh, what, always a good scene in almost any movie is yeah. the winning streak while gambling scene. Um, get one in this. It's really fun. They do go to Vegas at one point, which, you know, very surprising. I thought this movie was about old guys wearing Groucho glasses doing bank jobs, but yep. there's, there's a lot to it. Well, you know I, what? It shows you that you can do, like, a last Vegas evil. You can do, like, you know, old men doing crazy shit if you earn it. Yeah, it's not this, like, weird, like... It's not needy. Stuff. Like, there's, there's, there's a sincerity and an authenticity to this mm-hmm. movie that is just... I couldn't believe it when I was watching it. Actually, I think I, we texted a little bit about it. I'm like, this is genuinely like one of the surprises of any of the movies we've watched over our 50 episodes. I'd say. Yeah. I thought I, this movie was kind of going to stink, and not at all. I would definitely recommend this yeah, movie. It, I and I want to. I wanted to get back to something. I think that our um, Theodore Melfi, who wrote Going in Style, mm. and also directed. Uh, this a couple of Melissa McCarthy movies. He directed Hidden Figures. He's and I just saw today has signed on to direct Don DeLillo's Underworld for Netflix. I don't know. Okay, yeah. Good luck, I'll, buddy. I I have higher hopes for Bombbox uh, White Noise. Um, but yeah. what he said about writing the um, remake, uh, oh. he said in this modern era, and even for me, I don't want to see a movie where my heroes, who I've been fighting for and rooting for for two hours, die or go to jail. I want to see them get ahead. And it's perfect for them to get ahead these days because everyone hates banks now. So let's have them put the perfect heist together, rob a bank, get away with it, and go off into the sunset. They said, yeah, let's do that. And that's how the script was born. Um, that isn't what the first movie's about. <laughs> no. And it's like, it's so soul-crushing. Like, I've watched all these, like, it's a truly talented cast. Like, yeah. Through the greats. And well, Zach Braff uh, is um, a competent yeah. some Ted Lasso's. What, what actually pisses me off is there are scenes where like it's the like the composition is interesting and it like there's like uh, it, it feels like there's a more interesting movie just begging to like rip out of uh out of the shell of this film and uh, and the cat like oh god Christopher Lloyd is in it uh and Margaret uh Fucking Peter Serafinowitz. They totally waste. I, I, I made I, I made a guess about Anne Margaret. She was also in Grumpy Old Men as the love interest. Oh yeah, that. no, she's in it as like the horny interest for Alan Arkin, and she's oh how horny she is and how wacky that yeah. is. And, Can you and old people having sex. Yep. And thought? then and Christopher Lloyd, uh, his bit. Oh, he's like uh, senile, and he's constantly getting things confused. That's funny. Oh, it's <sighs> like oh, it sucks. It just makes me so mad. But that's the thing it's like i think that they're confusing it they're like they're too they're choosing like oh we can go against the banks and when martin breast is going up against his ages of death yeah well, the, he, yeah well the thing too is they have this is the theme of the original 
Yeah, well, they have this idea, too, that, like, there's this expectation where, like, okay, this movie has to be funny, so we have to have jokes. This movie's a caper, so there has to be a caper, and we got to explain the caper. And um, it kind of shows, like, Going in Style is such a great example of less is more. Yeah. And, I like, agree. tearing and, down. Well, I mean, that's, I think, the modern, the modern movie, they think we really, really care about, like, how do you, like, what's the plan? Yeah. For the perfect crime. It's like, I don't care what the plan is. I care about the people perpetrating the crime. Even, yeah. even Heat knows that. You, yeah. care about, you care about Neil. You care about Chris. You care about Tom Sizemore. You care about Trejo playing Trejo. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know? Well, and, and like, you know, and it's funny because like these uh, going in style has like, it can, it can, it's at times a funny movie, but it's not like, there's no jokes really. Like, it's not like a, that's like the thing I think, I feel like, movies don't realize now it's like what we talk about with like martin what you talk about with martin scorsese movies being funny because life has funny moments like things things just happen it's characters reacting to the story that's coming to them rather than characters like commenting on things becoming the story yeah because it's like oh god there's like a scene with like keenan thompson where he's a grocery manager and like you can you can feel like the film straining to give like funny jokes to like an offhand remarks to Kenny Keenan Thompson. Like you can feel the film just trying to like pull snarks out of its pocket. And it's just so forced. And like, there's no, there's no planet where people like react this way. Like people Mm -hmm. don't react with witty one-liners. That's not like human uh, well, most people aren't like, I mean, like you can tell I've met a handful of people in my life who are like conversationally super funny. Yeah. And they, they're, they are people who I've met down here mm-hmm. who work in the, as comedic like performers, yeah. Yeah. generally speaking. But I mean, most people like, you know, I, you know, people I work with at the office, they're nice people, but they're not like, like fall they're not, it's not like I'm, not like jason manzoukas is sitting in the in the desk next to me or something like that right. you know they're regular yeah. people well and if you <laughs> they're, had they're occasionally they're occasionally witty but yeah know. well and if you had jason manzoukas next to you in the office like even if we lived in that world like jason manzoukas wouldn't be trying to force out a bit every well, four he'd seconds be doing his job most yeah. of the day and then something funny happened he'd comment and i'm like wow jason you're pretty funny yeah <laughs> you know? and it's like oh god well and it's like there's just so many things that just happen so that there can be funny and like yeah because like the only reason they're in a grocery store is for some reason uh the old boys that's what i call the characters in the new uh in the new oh, going um, in style also, i mean going in style hashtag dudes rock oh yeah they're definitely dudes rocking like they yeah. they feel like they need to like practice crimes so they they steal from a grocery store it's very well that's the thing and the guys um the guys in the original they just jump straight to a bank yeah no, no need for no need for practice let's just yeah. do this no. the idea is the big job it's not about like like are, are they gonna like 
are the guys in the new one going to like lose their apartment if they don't it's, like get like a uh, rent or something like it's, that? It's literally like they've lost their pensions. And then like yeah. on top of that, like uh, I think Morgan Freeman needs a kidney transplant. There are all these like ridiculous. And then like Peter Serafinowicz, who's like the Charles Hallahan character. He runs like a, a medical marijuana store. Oh, cool. And he's also a bad dad who kind of oh. needs to be a better that Michael Caine. It's so like. All they well, that's needed- the thing about the guys in this original. They don't. They just need to not be sad. Yeah. Well, and and here's the thing too is that like Charles Hallahan, he is such a good parent in this, and it's so heartwarming. He's to, he he takes another job as a bartender because he's just trying to get by because he loves his family. Yeah. Because he's he, also a plumber. He literally <laughs> like cries, and I feel for him. Like he has like a she just the, the acting tear shed, and I'm like, holy shit! He I've loved, never he loves he loves Art Carney. He yeah. loves his family. He loves his... Like he's a real person. He's and, a real person. And it's not like yeah, and it's so sad because Peter Serafinowicz, like he it could have been good. And like well, everyone you know, you've mentioned could do this. Yes. Everyone could be in like uh and it's just it's all wasted. Like Matt Dillon plays a shitty FBI agent who's boring and like he also has quirky but he's like he's like after them. He's like, I'm gonna get these old guys, but then they like do well and he's like, you know what? I kinda like these old guys. Yeah, Probably. honestly, yeah. Oh, yeah. it sucks. And then like, oh, and then fucking like even like Anthony Chisholm is in this movie, but he's totally wasted. Like who he play, he's like a Broadway, he's like a theater, New York theater actor who uh was Burr on uh Oz. If you ever seen the TV show Oz, mm-hmm. he's like uh he kind of oh. he hung out with Simon Debsey's gang. And mm-hmm. uh he's a great actor and like uh he just gets poop to do. And yeah. the and yeah, uh, yeah, Josh Pice is also in it. He gets it's just yeah, it's a bummer. I want to um, I want to throw a shout out for a movie, a modern movie though, because we you know we we go a little. Jen called it. Jen called me on saying that we go a little bit hard on the new movies mm-hmm. on the Academy Academy. So I'm gonna give I'm gonna give props to a nice double feature film to go along with going in style, uh, and that would be David Lowry's film, The Old Man and the Gun, with Robert Redford. Uh, which came out a few years ago perfect double with this one um and captures everything we were talking about about kind of you know being light comedy but also being very human and being very real and about about aging it but you know lowry's film is kind of about like maintaining like a the child in -hmm. you that's a big part of his entire filmography really is kind of kind of soulful like innocence kind of going for that and redford being this guy who's like he's a criminal but it's like he just enjoys it it's this is what makes him happy you know you know and is he hurting it is he hurting anyone by you know doing this i don't know maybe but you know and he probably does have problems but it's like it's it's a lovely movie i just rewatched it actually um you know within within movies of going in style and wasn't even planning on the theme there but uh mm-hmm. really really terrific movie and the guys in that i mean it's redford tom waits and danny glover you can't do much better for an old guy gang than that yeah oh totally but, yeah but yeah i i couldn't i actually really recommend breast film going in style um yeah it's the really original good. 1979 one it's a surprising moving sincere film that um really um is not what you are going to expect it to be and 97 minutes you know it moves yeah. too it, it's it's tough it's one of those things too where it, it might even be now you know we'll talk about uh uh 
you know, we'll talk about Beverly Hills Cop and Midnight Run next round, and I'll probably take rescind what I'm about to say, but it might actually be my favorite Martin Breast film, Ooh, just wow. just because it's so like there's like like a, a realness. Uh, 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 up to update the Academy Academy uh, uh, Wikipedia page. I know, I know, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Might have to rescind it because the other two movies are excellent. Like I love both those films, but uh, like. There's something about going in style that is just so it that feels so lived in and real. Well, I think it has like um, you know, the other two are like beautiful 1980s movie machines. Yes, how they work. This has still got some new Hollywood 1970s residue. Yeah, and, and I, I think, think oh, and I helps. wasn't expecting that either. I think that's part of it. I think my expectations were so low. Like you see that poster of like all the old guys with their Marx Brothers hat, and you're like, you, you think to yourself, oh, they're gonna be wearing those weird Marx Brothers noses a lot. They're gonna be, it's gonna be goofy. It looks yeah. like they like they might even break into song. Oh, in yeah, a hundred percent. Like I was like a hundred percent expecting a weird, but like. Like, and I think part of it too is that like the three leads are just such talent. I didn't realize George Burns could be that like uh, yeah, engaging. I, I thought he, um, you mean, my, my only real experience, you know, we, we chat a little bit about this. He passed um, a little bit before your kind of awareness, yeah. but I grew up, you know, the eighties, the Oh God movies were, were like, we're how weirdly sensation among like <laughs> sub- suburban communities and so forth. And George Burns was kind of like outside of like grand- my own grandpa, the first old guy that I was really That's aware so of. Well, like, oh, he's old. Like that was like his entire thing was like, he's so old. <laughs> <laughs> he's like ancient. This yeah, he's so he, damn old. Because it is like this thing too, where he is like he was born like in the 19th century. Yeah, I mean, what's it, he was his birthday is January 20th, uh, 1896. That's um, crazy. His real name is uh, Nathan Birnbaum too and he died in 1996 at age 100 oh that's i remember cool. like his 100th was also like oh everyone's like stoked it's like, george burns come make 100 you know, it's like, i don't know why he was the old guy everyone really had like was really rooting for yeah jen just uh piped in and give her credit she's absolutely right uh kind of had betty white of his era vibes yeah he's like a proto betty white that's so funny well it's also like this thing too where like even though i didn't really see anything he was in i feel like every sort of animaniacs or like cartoon that had like aladdin with genie like everyone did like a george burns impression and so anytime anyone was like old yeah they got kind of like yeah the cigar salty and a cigar and glasses and kind of like like you either, if you were old, you were either Mr. Magoo and kind of a weird, <laughs> weird, like, yeah, Le- kind of guy, Leslie or you're Nielsen, like, yeah. or yeah, you, or yeah, if you're old, you were either Leslie Nielsen or George Burns. That <laughs> was the dichotomy. Those that was were the, the two options of being old. <laughs> those were the two paths you could take the path of the Nielsen, the path of the Burns. But it's, it's kind of amazing, like, you know, both he, George Burns, and his wife, like, have street named after them in Beverly Hills down here. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're still like have this like Hollywood vibe, but I was just reading about it because like he was known for this comedy theme with his wife, Gracie Allen. Mm-hmm. His wife died in 1964. And they, they had this like fa- famous team, but he lived another like 32 years beyond that. Like they were old then. And then like 
he kept going. See, that like, like adds like another a, layer. That adds amazing. another layer of pathos to the performance because this going in style is like his going in style. Well, because in uh, so in 1975, he had at age 79 in 1975, he um was in this movie the sunshine boys where he kind of showed up as a very funny old guy mm. cranky old guy oh, he yeah. won best supporting actor at the academy awards and it was like this huge career comeback oh, so shit. going in style was kind of part of this run of him playing like oh he's old but he's got something going on <laughs> you know oh man that's like, like that's like leading his... up to oh god which i mean i i watched oh god in high school in my religion class <laughs> I don't I know why. We watched Sen of a Woman too. We watched some weird ass movies. Uh, ah, Seven man. Years in Tibet with Brad Pitt. Watched <laughs> that. I don't know why. I, 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 I remember when we watched Forrest Gump in history class. I was like, it's a stretch, but I kind of get if you're a boomer teacher, it's like, well, I can. I can cover the 60s. Yeah, ever, we, we watched <laughs> Glory. Yeah. yeah, we watched Glory too. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, uh, really? Yeah, quick. I wonder what the staples uh, for younger listeners of the Academy Academy. What are the staples of the t- of high school classes and the movies that you're being shown these days? What, what are people pretending are teaching you about history with stupid Hollywood movies? <laughs> yeah, hashtag show us your staples. Show us your staples. Yep. Hey, and don't don't show us pictures of staples. We will we will unfollow anyone who does that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I remember uh, my cousin said, "Hey, the teacher who got in trouble because uh, they just went ahead and showed Terminator 2 and it was clear. I was like, oh, you're just like hung over. You just wanted to put this on. Oh, that rules. That's, <laughs> what a great just, teacher. It's like they're like, oh, you can't show Terminator 2. And I'm like, boy, that made every kid in that class fucking thrilled that day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, Terminator uh, 2. Hell yeah. There was like a week in Spanish class where like, I feel like we watched Abla Canelia like two or three times in a row. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, show us your staples on Espanol, on Francais, if you're in your foreign language classes. Mm. What, what movies are they shoving? Are, is it a lot of, when, when I was in French class, it was a lot of Gerard Depardieu. He was he was the staple of all, uh, of makes, all movies we watched in French class. Oh man, he was so uh, it's so crazy how he was like he was the France's guy for like the nineties. He was like yeah. Well, he, what do you think of when you think of like a French dude? It's yeah. Gerard Depardieu in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, just Jean <laughs> Renault just kind of grimacing in the background, being like, ah, why couldn't it be me? I, I have my I have a, one of my best buddies. He's a very like very serious very like stand-up guy good dude but not not known you know not he's he's not he's not your office mate jason manzoukas he's not known for throwing out the jokes all the time right uh but every once in a while he'll get a little tipsy and he'll just throw a uh i'm dying now from my father the hero gerard Depardieu, in the mix and you're like <laughs> what a funny weird weird choice i love it it's <laughs> just such a specific oh man gerard Depardieu, one of the yeah one of the one of the weirdest one of the weirdest frenchmen oh i mean uh, like by all accounts it seems like a bad dude oh like, evil <laughs> yeah well he's like yeah. in, he lives in like russia too so he doesn't he doesn't have to pay he, tax, he, taxes yeah, he's, he, yeah he didn't want to pay taxes but he, he went like full seagal in his friendship with Putin and shit like that. Oh, just trying to do all he wanted to do is drink wine and not pay taxes. Oh, evil, funny. <laughs> I just he is like comically evil. He is like uh he's like he does look like a um just like a villain in a Disney, a live That's action so Disney film. He'd, he'd be like, I mean, I don't know, it, he'd be such an interesting one to do for our show in a bracket because like if you watch his like work in the 70s and 80s, he's like 
an amazing serious like he is the young man like pacino or de niro oh that's so funny france at that time so he's working with all the big name directors like he even did Godard, he did Truffaut, mm-hmm. you know maury pilot you know down the line did a ton of amazing films and then he like came to hollywood mm-hmm. did a bunch of movies where he was like the go-to french guy until jean renault did the professional and jean renault became the new go-to french guy for yeah. kind of the late 90s he took over for Dick right yeah when he like 90s. yeah that's like when he like yeah like that when he when he got the godzilla role the american got the mission impossible and ronin you yeah know, he, he got a lot of good ones i who's yeah. who's the go-to french guy now <laughs> uh i don't think there is one i think let's, we gotta get let's get a replacement go-to french guy yeah yeah is the go-to go. french person now yeah we, it's, we don't it doesn't need to be a guy it could be a person yeah it's marion cotillard yeah we, and she's kind of um boy hung on to it strong because yeah she she didn't embarrass herself when she came to the united states like so yeah. many of the others <laughs> definitely yeah she definitely uh isn't and she's also like not like in uh you know serbia or something or like ukraine not paying. although i did hear i i heard i heard she she briefly dabbled i allegedly allegedly folks oh no <laughs> was briefly dabbling in 9-11 trutherism which is very <laughs> funny <laughs> That actually kind of—that's like I almost find as as wrong as that is. I I do find that weirdly endearing. I, 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 like, no. I like I like our actors being bona fide freaks. I like that Joe Pesci doesn't believe cigarettes give you cancer. There's something yeah. about that that's like, although it's like you know, just keep it to yourself. That's kind of Joe, my Joe Pesci. Invite the Academy Academy out to play golf with you. We want it. We'll play Please. golf with you. I will play. I'll learn golf. I'll do it. I'll finally. The last time I went to a golf course with my father, he let me drive the uh, golf truck, uh, golf cart, and I almost drove us off a cliff. <laughs> I was in Arizona when I was oh twelve. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I I I got in a. The last time I golfed with my dad, we just got this huge fight because I got I I discovered that um, all of my insecurities and anger and stress. <laughs> all can come out in a poor golf swing oh no and i got very mouthy and very like <laughs> surly and just i was like kicking shit and just going, like really upset my dad was like pull it together and i was like i'm gonna throw this fucking golf back <laughs> uh that rolls that's I, that's funny i don't think i could ever uh i think about like how hard you have to hit that ball and i don't think my uh, arms can do it i don't know yeah hey but you know let's let's build some public housing over those golf courses oh that? yeah nuke them nuke them nuke them nuke nuke the golf like, courses like Roddy dangerfield said in caddyshack i tell you what golf courses in cemeteries worst waste of prime real estate uh, uh Rodney, you king uh, man. so so funny let's do a let's do a horrible <laughs> bracket on rodney dangerfield where just like there's two good watchable movies we watch a back to school and caddyshack every week for 16 weeks <laughs> ladybugs we're watching ladybugs for the second oh, ladybugs. time I hey. alone there. <laughs> uh, Stallone, almost the lead of beverly hills cop oh yeah we will be talking about that and the amazing fact that he did not want to name him axel foley but he wanted to name him axel cobretti oh, which he then took on to be marianne cobretti in the film cobra he couldn't oh. get the name cobretti out of his head what a weirdo <laughs> this movie 
it's spawned cobra it's insane yeah yeah if if you have to thank beverly hills cop for one thing it's the film cobra also also, uh i gotta say this really quick i had to say this because i thought of this earlier so war games uh even though uh 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 breston directed uh he cast he discovered matthew broderick Mm -hmm. which leads me to think had uh rain man been directed by um Martin Brest, it would have been Al Pacino in the Dustin Hoffman role and Matthew Broderick in the Tom Cruise role. Want to see that, that alternate reality? I think that that's um, a strong possibility. I mean, one thing though we can talk about though as we move forward, Martin Brest uh, worked with a lot of stars and got some interesting things out of each of these stars. He was able to um, really capture. I mean, I, I I can't wait to talk about Robert De Niro's performance in Midnight Run in oh, particular yeah. because. Um, you know, De Niro, for as many, 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 many uh, positive attributes, kind of like warm sensitivity is not usually the first thing that comes to mind. But the way he warms to Charles Grodin, I've never seen him do that with a female co-star, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he genuinely comes to love Charles Grodin, which is pretty... A pretty amazing feat, but that yeah. Brest was able to get him to that point. And for De Niro to put in a genuinely different Robert De Niro performance in Midnight Run, but while maintaining a lot of like what you like about Robert De Niro. Here's my uh, just as a quick preview for the um, the Midnight Run Beverly Hills Cop episode we will be doing. If we were to do a Robert De Niro bracket, would you put uh, Midnight Run in the bracket? Yes. Yep, with a bullet. Yep, yep I yep. agree with you. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's yeah, it's I an think, important uh, movie. It's a it's a huge one for him. I think I think if you'd, you'd probably take a look at doing uh, that in the the first analyze movie, if you wanted to do two comedies, or yeah. those two best comedies, comedy work. But he, I mean, like he's he's so engaged in Midnight Run. It's again, uh, like uh, going in style. Um, it's comedy that comes out of the situation rather than bad jokes. Yeah. Like it's a, he's, it's funny because of what they're going through. It, yes. And like how they react as characters. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, um, and just to uh, tie it back to, uh, to leave my final word for new going in style. I think just nowadays with a lot of feature films, people, they write jokes without, it's like they view um, scripts as like uh, placeholders for things. Like this section has to be the crime. This has to have a joke here. This has to have a joke there. And sometimes it kind of all feels, um, uh, it feels like you're watching a machine in motion uh, mm-hmm. in a way that's not uh, uh, appealing. It's like very like uh, you're, you're just watching stuff happen for the sake of it happening. Uh, this has to happen because it's a film and you never get that with uh, you don't get that feeling with his film, especially these first two films, because um, team, I think Martin Brest is really about like, you know, I think he's a character first guy. I think he's like tries to craft yeah. real characters and, you know, and I, think, it will be- I think in every one of his movies, it's very hard to predict mm-hmm. what's what's going to happen. Right. Because like they're not they're not working in a formula. I mean, I think the only thing you could kind of expect is that Axel Foley's probably going to get away with everything. 
in Beverly Hills Cop, but you mm. don't care because Eddie Murphy's putting in such a like one of the most dynamic comedic performances. It rules. Ever. It is like it is <laughs> like, like uh, it kind of is just like watching like uh, it's he. It is like this like moment where you realize, oh shit, Eddie Murphy is like uh, like. Like the fucking kid, he's like the Muad'Dib from Dune. He's like, Whoa, just... if you if you thought that Ray Sharkey popped in Hot Tomorrows, wait till you see Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop. Oh yeah, I mean, it... like it's it's incredible. It's oh yeah, incredible. And, and how old is Eddie Murphy? He's like he's, what? He's young. He's like twenty two, twenty three oh, or something. And he's angry. He's... Makes me angry how good he is. Well, he's just. I mean, he has the gift. He's a megastar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just he has it. Whatever yeah. it is, he's got it. He's got know? the spice. So few people have that, but he has it. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, th- I can't think of like any like um, trying to think of any actor who like their first role, because not even Al Pacino. Like Panic and Needle Park is great, but it's no like, like having like. Be- oh, you know what? Because he had Forty Eight Hours before this too, and he's is he good- even that. I mean, he's he's explosive in that. I mean, this yeah. one though was like a hit. I mean. We'll talk, we'll talk. We're obviously excited because we like both of them so much. But um, we'll talk about it. Yeah. I mean, this is his first kind of like. I mean, even says in the opening credits, like an Eddie Murphy production. Like this is his first, like really hands on. This is like mm-hmm. my th- like Forty Eight Hours. Nick Nolte was the established star in that one. Same with even like um, uh, Saunders and House favorite growing up trading places. You know, Dan Aykroyd was the <laughs> yeah. um, established star when that came out. And it's, yeah, and it is kind of like, um, oh man, I, I'm going to save my thoughts on, yeah, because it is just an incredible movie, but um, do we want to close up? Are we? Uh, yeah, I think we, I th- so I think, you know, going forward, like, let's, let's collect a few themes. Yes. That we can kind of like start building on, because one thing I was trying to like, come up with when watching these and the next two is kind of like, what is the narrative here is there is there even a narrative and i think the themes are thus far that he's a little more morose a little more eccentric certainly um has mortality and existence and kind of satisfaction in life on his mind um very clearly like he has a healthy distrust of authority that's coming clear and mm-hmm. you will become clearer certainly in the, in the next two movies. Oh yeah. Um, I think, I think he, despite the fact that he, he is, he, he seems to be someone who's trying to work very, very distinctly with it as moving into going in style. Cause going in style was a hit. So as a hit that gives him more of a shot to continue to move into Hollywood and that kind of thing. But I think mm-hmm. that there is like, hesitate to use the word like punk rock spirit to him right but i think that there is this like outer borough bratty kid yeah attitude to him that like still wants to like you know i I even like thinking about like beverly hills cop you know you got a guy who lives in like a real urban environment a real city environment going to this like hoity-toity los angeles like his yeah. view of Los Angeles, I mean, even to Geely, because mm-hmm. he has a very negative view of like Hollywood and the sun in Los Angeles and kind of the phonies out here. Well, it's like, yeah, well, it's, I think like Beverly Hills Cop is like an excellent example of an outsider, uh, how an outsider successfully navigates and outsmarts. 
everyone. Everyone. And it's literally everyone. <laughs> and it rules. It's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and such well cast lug, lug, lug heads in that movie. Well, Every... he's, um, all of his, all of these movies are well cast. Oh man, they're incredible. I mean, yeah. he, he, he has access to really good actors. I wish, I wish he had continued with like, I mean, obviously I think John Ashton, who will meet um, possible future Academy, Academy Hall of Famer, mm. I think definitely in the running, um, who will meet next week with two films. I wish he had been in, I wish John Ashton had been, I mean, heaven forbid, we love James Rebhorn, also an Academy Academy Hall of Famer. Um, he could have been the dean though at Baird. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. He could have. He could have been the Charles Hallahan character. Could have been. He could have been the limo driver in Scent of a Woman. Oh my God. Yeah, man. Actually, he probably would have knocked out of the park with that one. Yeah. But or even yeah. the car salesman. Yeah. 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 I he would have crushed it. Yeah. Oh, he could have been. Uh, you know. One of the gangsters in, in Rashili. Yeah, he could have been like one of the people just like pestering people at the Ivy. He could have had his brains eaten by Al Pacino's fish. Can you believe that happens in Chile? Oh my god! Yeah, like, and like the bra- the fish eating brains mm-hmm. is like the tenth weirdest thing. Yeah, in Chile. I don't know what he, what happened because like his his. At least through these first movies, even Hot Tomorrows, mm-hmm. his sense of tone and kind of rhythm and consistency is so good. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, like, Gili, but Gili, we'll talk about it. Yeah. We can read a little bit more about yeah, the behind the yeah. scenes action on that, too. Yeah, there's like, I think there's answers. Marty's fault. Yeah, I think I would... there are answers. Yeah. <laughs> there there um, are answers. There are answers. But, like, I think what's interesting, too, is I think he does truly have, like, a distaste for, like, Beverly Hills like snobbery yeah and I think like him basing the movie in like the place he loads I wonder if that like has something to it's just yeah it's just some fascinating it's a fascinating yeah. artwork yeah we'll get there but yeah so kind of we're feeling it around we're 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 we're, we're discovering it as we go because mm-hmm. you know in a sense we don't have like a guidebook like the no. james cameron <laughs> biography or like he's just not very covered and you know frankly like despite the fact that we 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 made some feelings about Gili known we've even made some feelings about scent of a woman known he's made some really really excellent films and he deserves to be a little bit more remembered than mm-hmm. he might be because you know i mean going and stab beverly Hills cop and midnight runner as good as these kind of movies get yeah and there's like a, there's like and also there's like a i feel like there's a multifacetedness to the to his work that i didn't realize initially mm-hmm. and i'm very curious i cannot wait to rewatch scent of a woman and Me and too. even I hate to say this. I can't believe I'm saying. I can't wait to see Geely again, just because um, it's so clear that he is the type of director that uh, everything has a reason, and mm-hmm. you know everything he does, uh, everything very specifically. And uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see like those films uh, through the lens of oh, everything in these features are choices that he purposefully made. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm yeah, curious, curious to see where this goes. But I mean, I think very exciting start. Uh, we got to thank, thank our new friends at uh, cinephobe.tv. 
Um, yeah, very nice uh, of them. For uh, playing Hot Tomorrows for us. Um, I have a feeling we were the only people in the international community that probably tunes into that channel. Yeah. That, uh, I, I, wanted I, to see Hot Tomorrows. <laughs> it's so funny. The Literally the only reason, because I was like trying to rack my, I can't tell you how many websites I went on that nearly gave me a virus trying to find a copy of Hot <laughs> no Tomorrows. Kidding. All these like horrible, like, like we Croatia. Nearly drove to UC, we nearly drove to UCLA to tr- try and go to their library archive to try oh, and track it down. I mean, yeah, we were, we're working like, for you folks. We really wanted yeah. to see this movie. We're at the point, yeah, we're almost getting the microfiche. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> <not> tomorrow's as <laughs> if we're like yeah finding an well, unsolved we went to murder. martin Bress house to get his personal 35 millimeter print and then we went surfing with him and painted and hung <laughs> yeah. out with his cats and yeah it was wonderful it was yep. wonderful we talked about baywatch it was great baywatch we're like oh, i get that now i get where you're coming from and i'm going to use that when i go to malibu with my mom one of these days <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the beach to use the grim specter of death made incarnate. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, but uh, the just well, Larry was... Gili was supposed to die in the original version oh, of Gili. That that spoiler, spoiler alert! Right he should have. It would have. It would have been him. great if his head blew up like the fucking Statue of Liberty. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then they cut to Danny DeVito trying to get a photo of it. Yeah. See, okay, already a better movie. We've oh, already. Yeah. Uh, well, but... Okay, before we head out, though, I do want to say, um, Danny DeVito should have been in another Martin Brest movie. Yes, he would have crushed it. He would have been great if one of the guys in Midnight Run, any of them, like on the scene. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm going to say the something. Joe Pantoliano part probably would have oh, been. Oh, 100%. Or even yeah. the Jack Cahill part. Oh, what a great. Yeah, those nice two to see together. Jack Cahill, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. He might be. We might another, put him in the. Uh, yeah. Another Academy Academy favorite at the very yes. least. Oh, man. But uh, I, I almost think that, like, Danny DeVito, he probably would have been just as good as uh, Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman. Good than that. I think he could have. I mean, I don't, heaven forbid, but he could have done the Groden part. Oh, a hundred percent. Oh, that'd be such a funny. That'd be so different. It would have been very funny. He would have done. He, he could have done the John Ashton part. Yeah, that would have been very very funny too. Yeah. Although, oh man, John Ashton is so good. I love. It feels like John yeah. Ashton is like possessed by like he, the, the Dennis Franz. He's literally in Gone Baby Gone because Ben Affleck is such a freak for Midnight Run. That's like, awesome. He yeah, wanted, like, yeah, he was in the article. He wanted to be Martin Brest's new John Ashton. What an awesome thing to want to be! Like he's a, mega, he's a mega star, but he can't keep can't keep tripping over himself. Yep, he's a big puppy dog. He's America's thing, You keep doing your thing, my man. He's America's lughead. Yeah, he's America's top fuck up. Yeah, it rules. Like keep yeah. on, yeah, keep being a sad beer guy, beard yeah. man. Uh, yeah keep trucking man but yep. yeah so thank you listeners for 50 episodes i cannot believe we made it this far it's been so much fun yep. uh, next week episode 51 though we might be covering two of the funnest movies we have covered thus far beverly hills cop midnight run as you i can already tell we're excited to talk about them so next week beverly hills cop midnight run take a look at them before the episode so we can spoil the hell out yeah, <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll see y'all next week. Bye. Forget about it. Forget hey. about it. We're bringing that back. Forget about it. Hey, hey, I'm walking here. It is what it is. Uh oh. <laughs> Chili.